If you would, turn in your Bibles again this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be starting in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses is mentioned 11 times in the entirety of the book of Hebrews. Like the others in this chapter, he lived by faith. But here, this morning, the reference begins with the faith of his parents. This morning, we're going to look at their acts of faith. Both Moses' parents and his We'll look at those acts. We'll look at the reason for those acts and the reward for those acts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this truth. We thank you for this text. We thank you for your provisions. We thank you that you supernaturally give us faith. May we learn this morning by your spirit what it means to walk in that faith and the beauty of walking in that faith, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. As with all of the acts of faith described in this chapter and that we see throughout the Bible, the acts of faith this morning are amazing. The depth and the degree of which they put faith in God is absolutely amazing. Verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, by faith, Moses was hidden, but it was by the faith of his parents. Due to his fear of the rapid population growth of the Hebrews, of the Jews, Pharaoh gave an edict in this time that all male babies were to be drowned in the Nile. So to protect their newborn son, as our text this morning says, Moses' parents first hid him for three months. But their act of faith didn't stop there. That was just kind of a reference point. But as we look into the degree of their faith, we want to look into that a little deeper. Exactly what did they do? It started with hiding him for three months. But then, as we know, from the Old Testament scripture, they put him in a waterproof basket and placed him in the Nile River. Now, not just anywhere in the river, they intentionally placed him near the place where Pharaoh's daughter bathed. And what happened? He was found by the princess, by Pharaoh's daughter, and taken to be raised as her own child. Now Moses' sister Miriam was watching all of this. After he was placed, she was hiding away off to the side, 
watching all this go down to see what was going to happen with her little brother. And when she saw that the princess had indeed taken her brother Moses, she persuaded the princess to allow her to seek one of the Hebrew women to be a wet nurse, to nurse this baby. And of course, she went and got her mother when the princess agreed. And as a result, Moses' own mother, who had let him go, was then able to raise him, in effect. Moses' parents were not afraid of the king's edict. When the government conflicted with God's way, they chose God's way. What other option did they have? Well, they could have just given Moses up to be drowned. And they would have been safe. But no, they chose to put their lives at risk. And you can sit here and say, well, what parent wouldn't choose that path? Be careful before you judge. Yes, I believe that the heart of every parent in this room would be to give their life over the life of their child. But that does not diminish the immensity of their sacrifice. They were willing to sacrifice punishment because the odds were not in their favor that they were going to be able to hide this boy. But they stepped out in faith and attempted it anyway. They were willing to risk their own lives to follow God's way. Their decision was clear. Save the child, no matter the cost. It took considerable faith to put Moses in the basket and to trust that Pharaoh's daughter, of all people, would take pity on this baby. The princess knew, after all, that this baby was a Hebrew. She knew what her father had pronounced in his edict. Yet she chose to take that baby in. And if he survived that, if he survived the princess finding him, okay, that was one justification, one fulfillment of their faith. It also took faith on Moses' parents' part. Okay, so if the princess does take him in and raise him, what are the chances? What are the possibilities that Moses would be raised in the way of God? The leaders of Egypt were pagan people. So even if Moses was raised by them, what were the chances, what would the chances be that he would be raised in the faith of God? They were minimal. Yet in the face of all this, they willingly let him go, entrusting him to God. They didn't try to control the situation. Yeah, Miriam was waiting and watching, but if, so, if a soldier came and took the baby, there was nothing she was going to do about it. They didn't try to control the situation. They didn't try to manipulate things the way they wanted them to go. They took each step in faith. How could they do this? How could they have this faith? The second half of verse 23. It says, because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
the miracle of God's creation, as they looked at that baby boy, as we saw Eva up here this morning, as each time we see a baby dedication, as each time we see a baby come into this world, it is miraculous. And as they saw how beautiful he was, they could do nothing but, by faith, step out and seek to save the life of Moses. If God can make that beautiful baby, he can make a way. What happened? His mother nursed him. She cared for him. She raised him. And no doubt that as she did that, she took her opportunity to teach him God's promises for the children of Israel. The boy had life. The boy had opportunity to be taught the ways of God. God provided for Moses and the destiny that he had for him. She helped build his faith. She let him go and God brought him back. I'm sure that she had questions. But she knew that this was in God's plan. God makes the plans and we walk in them by faith. They don't always turn out like it did for Moses. They don't. Life can be hard. Life can be ugly. Life can be difficult. But the only choice we have, no matter what we are facing, is to walk in faith and trust that God knows better. And in this case, God clearly Embrace their faith. Verse 24, continuing with the acts of faith. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. For 40 years, Years, Moses had been the prince of Egypt, the wealthiest, most cultured, and advanced society of the day. Acts chapter 7, verse 22. Stephen gives us some insight. He tells us Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. This is speaking of Moses. He could enjoy everything that Egypt had to offer. But his life in the palace never clouded what his mother had taught him. We see it by his fruits. Continuing in Acts 7, verse 23. It says, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers. After 40 years of living as an Egyptian, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, when he was 40 years old. The author of Hebrews says, when he was grown up. This is when he was 40 years old. And today we call people adults at age 18. Josh, are you 32? Yeah, maybe we ought to have parent dedication for PJ and Terry, you think? (laughs) 
He faced a crucial decision. He had to decide between to be all in as an Egyptian or joining his own people, Israel. The deciding factor, the only way he could make God's decision was by faith. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In all those years, he had never wavered in his devotion to God. Back to Acts 7, verse 25. He supposed that his brothers would understand, the nation of Israel would understand, that God was giving them salvation by his, Moses' hand. But they did not understand. They didn't receive him openly. They didn't understand. But he did. They were slaves in the land that had once honored them. The land had honored them all because of Joseph and the miraculous things that God had done through Joseph. Moses was now in a position similar to Joseph's. But God had a different work for him to do. Joseph used Egypt's power for the good of God's chosen people. Moses would have to oppose Egypt's power for the same reason. He renounced the world's power, honor, and prestige for the sake of God. He could do this, have this amazing, great faith, because he knew he would gain much more than he would lose. The things that the world counts great have nothing to do with what God considers great. He, God, honors people on a totally different standard. He is not interested in what family we came from or how much money we have or how much education we have or what positions we hold. True faith is proven by self-denial. By faith, Moses gladly joined with God's chosen people. Even though they were slaves, rather than take advantage of the prestige and the privileges of Egypt and be unfaithful to God, Sin, let's face it, sin is often fun. It can feed our pride, satisfy our physical desires, and offer innumerable pleasures. But it is, in fact, always evil. And it is always temporary. The benefits are always temporary. Sometimes we wonder, I do, we wonder why unbelievers, wicked people, are successful, famous, wealthy, healthy, well off in just about every way imaginable. Yet many of God's most most faithful saints are poor, physically weak, unsuccessful in business, and ridiculed. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. 
Jeremiah says, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Psalm 73, starting in verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. While in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Basically, the psalmist is asking, why is it that they are wicked and wealthy and I am pure but poor? Well, Job chapter 21, verse 13 Job answers the question. He says, They spent their days in prosperity, and in peace they go down to Sheol. It is temporary. Romans chapter 2, starting at verse 5. Paul brings it pretty straight, the conclusion of the matter. He says, Because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed, he will end it, each one according to his works. Moses knew that God was calling him to give his life for his people. It is hard enough to stop seeking worldly things, to deal with envy, looking after things that other people have and seeking after worldly things, that is hard to overcome. It is even harder to give them up once we have them. And by the time he was 40, Moses had the best of everything that the world could offer. Now him possessing these things were not sins in themselves. Joseph had enjoyed the same pleasures in the same place while being perfectly obedient to God. He had these same pleasures, the power, the money, the prestige, until he died. But they weren't sin because he was living by faith in the midst of them. But they would have been sin for Moses if he had decided to stay because he would have been ignoring the will of God for his life. He chose to join the people of God rather than to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin. This was an act of faith. God has called us all to holiness. We sang of, Eric spoke of the throne room and only a holy God. How can we willfully participate in the sinful wretchedness of this world on one hand and on the other hand claim to be looking forward to coming face to face with only a holy God? How can we feed the flesh in one hand and expect that when we cross into eternity we can just instantly flip a switch and deny our flesh and face only a holy God? We are called to holiness in this life. We are not going to be perfect. We've, met, we've, we've talked about this. Moses wasn't perfect. None of these pillars of faith were perfect in this life. 
but their faith was in God. And God faithfully, mercifully, patiently walked with them. Obedience is not always easy. We are not going to do it perfectly. But in the end, sin is much harder than obedience. Obedience can be hard now. Sin can also be hard now. But often Satan is very good at delaying the consequences, if not in this life, delaying them into eternity. Convincing us that the things that God is telling us, the call to holiness, the call to obedience, is a lie. And it's not a lie. It is the truth. And the beauty and the benefits and the rewards of it are the truth. God's way is not only for his honor, but for our good. Verse 26. He considered, he, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. The reproach, the hardships, the struggles were greater wealth than what Egypt had to offer him. Only an eternal Christian perspective could see suffering as greater wealth than material or reputational or positional blessings in this life. It is a foreign thought to someone who does not have faith in the Creator God. For he, Moses, was looking to the reward. He had an eternal perspective. Moses lived nearly 1,500 years before Christ. Yet he suffered reproach for the sake of Jesus Christ, the true Messiah. Because he identified with his people and purpose. Long before Christ came to earth, Every believer since Adam's fall has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is also then true that any believer at any time who has suffered for God's sake has suffered for Christ's sake. David suffered just as much for Christ's sake as Paul did. Psalm 69.9, David wrote, the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. The reproaches of those who reproach you, Christ, have fallen on me, David. Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. Paul wrote, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Christ has always been identified with his people. When Israel suffered, Christ suffered. And when Moses suffered, Christ suffered. All Christians should willingly bear the same reproach. Everyone who has stood with God by faith, who has lived for him, turned his or her back on what the world has to offer and walked in obedience to him. 
as we see the reproach of God and of Christ, it belongs to all who suffer for Christ's sake. The church bears the reproach of Christ. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. After being flogged by the Sanhedrin, the apostles left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Moses rejected the treasures, the power of Egypt. And took his stand with God's anointed. God's reward is always greater than the world's. God's reward is eternal. The world's is temporary. Psalms 37, 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For 40 years, Moses enjoyed the riches of Egypt. For the rest of his life, he forsook them because they were contrary to his obedience to God and would have made it impossible for him to receive God's eternal rewards. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, our call to worship text this morning. And he, Christ, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Follow me. There's a lot in those two little words. Follow me, Christ says. Christ, when he says follow me, Christ, remember, was sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven. Free from corruption. Free from sin. Free from the wickedness and ugliness of this world. And he stepped out of that seat. Was born in humility. Raised in obscurity. No one knew who he was. Lived a life of persecution in three very long years. Died in tragic, painful death. And was resurrected and restored back at the right hand of his father. He went through all of that denied himself so that we would have a means, a way to join him and his father, our father in heaven. When we face the temptations of this world, the riches, the power, the acknowledgements, are we seeking those things for God's glory? Or are we seeking them for our own selfish pleasures and acknowledgement and furtherment? The only way we ultimately receive the inheritance that is ours by God's selflessness 
is to come to a point of self-denial, of selflessness ourselves. This morning, we remember that sacrifice. We remember Christ's sacrifice. The humility, the power, the immense gift that it was. We invite you this morning to join us. To come to the table with us. Jesus himself led the disciples in First Communion. Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. This practice, what we are going to partake of together this morning, is a reminder and celebration of the selflessness that Christ did, performed, modeled for us on the cross. By dying for our sins and thus satisfying the wrath of God, the wrath that was necessary, the justice that was necessary for sin so that we could face only a holy God. Resolving the ultimate conflict, finalizing his, Jesus' life of perfect obedience, fulfilling every promise of God, securing our salvation, making a way of reconciliation between us and God. He bridged the gap. If not for Christ's life, death, and resurrection, there would be a chasm between us and God that we could not cross. We would be condemned for eternity if not for the selflessness of Christ, if not for the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Securing the future kingdom of God in our inheritance in that kingdom. So this morning, we come together joyfully, rejoicing in the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ not only saves us, but also enables us. It enables us to live that life of self-denial. It enabled Moses' parents to hide him for three months. It enabled his parents to without having any idea how God was going to fulfill it, to put their son in that basket and just wait, to trust that God would take care of him, to enable Moses to step out of the life of power and comfort and recognition, to face the trials and tribulations of his people, to continue in obedience ourselves to our Father in heaven. This morning, I want to give us a few moments of just silence to give us a time of meditation as we prepare these communion elements to come together. I encourage you now to bow your heads in reverence. Ask God by his spirit to seek your heart, to seek your spirit, to help you to see where maybe you're hanging on to the pleasures of this world. 
Maybe those pleasures, those temptations, those provisions of this world are keeping you from realizing the fullness of your relationship with Christ. I'll give you that time now of, of silent and personal meditation. this time I invite the elders to come forward as we prepare the elements to partake together. <clears throat> 